Allison Carter with the Milestones Podcast. This is episode 73, and today's topic stemmed from a question that I received recently from another OT about kids who are nonverbal and some of the issues and frustrations surrounding their daily lives. You may have noticed I missed getting out a new show last week. I've been really busy with the end of the school year and beginning of summer transitioning happening. I'm not exactly sure how the rest of the summer will go, but I'm still trying to get one show out per week. If not, it will be every other week. So bear with me. I do have a lot going on, and I am also enjoying spending some time off with my kids, too. As therapists and parents of kids who are nonverbal, we understand that even though they may not be able to tell you exactly what they want or are thinking using words, they are still able to communicate with you in other ways. Let me back up and discuss what I mean by someone being nonverbal. I'm talking about kids who are at the age where, in a typical world, they would be talking to verbally using words. So, a 12-month-old is usually able to say at least one word, and some are able to say a few more than that. Things like mama, dada, and uh-oh. Just basic one words. In early intervention, we see a lot of kids who are older than 12 months and still aren't saying those beginning basic words, or any words for that matter sometimes. And sometimes kids will repeat a word that you say randomly, but then not say it again for another month or longer. The rest of the time, kids that are nonverbal are either making sounds that sound more like jabbering random noises, not your typical babbling of the da-da-da-das and mama-mama sounds. Or they're really just quiet and don't make many or any sounds with their mouth, except possibly crying or some sound that might indicate they are either happy or sad. These are usually things like a squeak, a grunt, a squeal, or a long string of vowel sounds. Just thinking of some of the kids that I've worked with. I should mention that we also see this in kiddos that are older, not just early intervention, but early childhood, elementary age, and up, depending on the individual. Some of you might be wondering why an OT is talking about something that sounds like a speech topic. Well, I'm not here to tell you how to get those kiddos to talk. The discussion of this show is going to be more about how to help these kids find ways to get their wants and needs met. This is a definite OT issue. We've talked about this before, and it's one of the ways we can help them learn to become more independent. With that being said, though, I also want to point out that these suggestions are coming from an OT perspective with many years of experience working with kids in early intervention. We have to keep in mind that as OTs, we have a certain level of understanding in this area. And I agree with the OT who sent me the email that there is definitely a gray area here. Our scope of practice only extends so far. And part of this is based on our experience also. With the focus of teaching kids how to become more independent in their lives. But there are times that the behaviors and tantrums are beyond our scope of practice, and we need to call in other providers for more help. A provider on our team that has more background or specific education on principles of behavior, 
not necessarily ABA, but in some cases that could be appropriate. And of course, for the communication or the language piece, a speech-language pathologist is appropriate if they aren't already involved. I always defer to these other disciplines when the basic strategies that I'll be going over today don't seem to be working, and the parents really need more of an advanced plan. Remember that the information I'll be going over today is to be used as a starting point, but is not comprehensive and will not be enough for all kids. One fairly effective strategy that kids tend to learn early on is that whining or crying or throwing a fit will get an adult's attention and they will help them get what they want. Eventually, as kids continue to build their vocabulary, social skills, and communication strategies naturally, they will learn how to use their words or language to tell adults what they are wanting. However, some kids take longer or have a harder time getting to that point for a variety of developmental reasons. Those kids probably need extra help to figure out appropriate but effective ways to communicate to let us know what they want. The problem is, when they started out like other kids with whining, crying, and throwing fits, but then never moved on past that because their verbal language didn't continue to progress to where they can talk yet. Some potential reasons from a why a one to two year old and older might be nonverbal can be things like apraxia, autism, developmental delays, cognitive delays, sensory processing, low tone, hearing impairments, fluid in their ears or frequent ear infections, premature birth, drug exposure, genetic syndromes that affect development, environmental factors, and many more possible reasons that I didn't list here. So a common theme, especially in early, in, in early intervention and with early childhood and early elementary age kiddos who are nonverbal, is that we often see tantrums or other unwanted behaviors. Of course, this is fairly common with young children who are verbal also at this age, but there is a difference in some of the reasons for the behaviors between these two groups. I am not a behavior therapist, but I do understand principles of behavior, and we have to look at the whole picture, not just the behavior. What came before the behavior happened, and is there something going on related to that child that could be impacting their behaviors and actions? For many kids that are nonverbal, frustration is very common. They might be frustrated because in their head they know what they want to say, or what they want to do or get, but they have difficult time getting these thoughts to come out into words. So we often see tantrums or crying or meltdowns when this happens. Even when parents or adults are trying very hard to understand them or guess at what they are wanting, if they don't get it right, the child might continue to be upset. More frustrated at the situation than anything, and they don't know what to do about it other than fall to pieces a lot of times. It's our job as therapists and teachers to give them the strategies to figure out how to get their point across in some way. This is different than the child who just wants a cookie, is pointing to the cookie, maybe even saying cookie, 
and crying or screaming because the adult won't give it to them right now. That's just a tantrum because they aren't getting their way. Most likely, somewhere along the way, the adult has given in before during one of these tantrums and has possibly reinforced the crying and screaming for this situation and the future. That could happen in situations with kids who are nonverbal as well, and we need to do a good job of figuring out when it is just a fit because they aren't getting the cookie when the adult clearly knows that's what they want versus when they are frustrated and upset because they aren't able to communicate that want in the first place. If the child who is nonverbal is finally able to convey in some way that they want a cookie, you need to think long and hard about your next action here. You don't want to reinforce the tantrum actions, but at the same time you do want to reinforce their ability to successfully communicate this to you. Do not give them the cookie if they are still in tantrum or crying mode. They need to calm down first and use the language strategies that you are probably using with them like sign language or a picture system or a visual schedule to reinforce the appropriate type of communication strategy now that you know what they want. This is tricky for me because there is a (coughs) fine line for one between getting what you want because you threw a tantrum and the adults finally guessed long enough to determine what you wanted and reinforcing the behaviors and strategies we are wanting them to use. I try to stay away from the guessing game as much as possible and set up some other systems instead to avoid this. I know it's not always possible to avoid the guessing to try and figure out what they're wanting, but if you, if you can start now trying to change your plan of action so that in the future you won't have to do that as much, hopefully. One of the most common strategies we tend to set up first is the process of learning how to make a choice. This concept in and of itself is difficult for some kids to grasp, but I usually see kids figure it out with quite a bit of repetition and practice. You hold up two objects and ask the child, do you want this or this? Do you want to play with blocks or cars? Do you want apples or pretzels? Make sure they look at each of the objects and work with them on how to pick one or the other. Sometimes they make the choice by simply looking at one longer than the other or reaching for one or pointing to it. Sometimes before kids understand the concept of choosing one, they will reach for both at the same time. When I see this happening, I will quickly move one of the objects forward closer to the child and let them grab that one first then move the other one out of their sight very quickly, label the one that they quote-unquote chose, and start interacting with it with them. The repetition of this eventually leads to them understanding that you only want them to pick one, and the other one will go away when I do that. This does give the child some sense of control or feeling like they have made a choice, although in this situation it is contrived, and the choices between two items that you chose for them to pick between. I would offer two items that I know the child already likes or prefers, so they will be happy with the choices given, especially early on in this phase of learning. We do this a lot during playtimes and also with snack times. For some kids, using the actual objects to choose from turns into eventually using 
pictures of the items. Then we can add more picture choices at one time rather than just two once they are to that point. As I said, this is not a new concept and most if not all of you out there listening already have a handle on this. Remember that as therapists, especially in early intervention, we need to make sure the parents of these kids are understanding the concept too. We can come into their home and try this with their child all we want, but we haven't done that family justice if that's all that we do. We have to explain the process and reasoning to the adults and put the objects in their hands when we're there. Coach the adults through what to do when they need some guidance. This will give them the confidence to continue trying this the rest of the week when you aren't there and will build the relationship and communication with their own child in a positive way. Now, as the OT who sent me the email this past week pointed out, sometimes the choice strategy works okay, but sometimes it doesn't. When we are working with kids in a therapeutic situation where we are there for a specific amount of time and we're working on a few select activities, offering choices can be effective. And this can also work during normal routine activities throughout the day. However, it is not the end-all, be-all solution for teaching and communicating with kids who are nonverbal. The problem can be that the ideal strategy might be in sight, but the child still may not be completely ready for it yet. I look at the issue of tantrums with kids who are nonverbal in two main ways, because these are the two most common times when parents report to me that their child has them. One is when the child wants or needs something, and they aren't able to communicate to the adult what that thing is, and the other is during transitions, so when it's time to stop doing one activity and start doing something else. For example, when it's time to leave the house and go somewhere. Or even just when it's time to stop playing with toys and take a bath to get ready for bedtime. Keep these two things in mind when I talk about the next strategies and activities. First, for those kiddos that are having tantrums when they are struggling to communicate their wants and needs, I would ultimately like to see the child be able to communicate what they are wanting by either going and getting the item itself and bringing it to the adult, or bringing a picture of some or some other type of visual representation of the item. This is hopefully the end result of making a choice between two items and moving through the progression of this to where they independently ask or communicate with their parent by bringing the item or object or picture to them to indicate what they're wanting. Like I said, though, this is a process. It isn't easy to skip from making a choice between two items offered to requesting the item on their own in some nonverbal way. One step that could be helpful is with snacks. This goes beyond the choice of, do you want apples or pretzels? One suggestion I have is to create a board where you can Velcro or use magnets to stick three to five empty food wrappers on the board. These food wrappers or pictures of like apples or grapes or things that don't have wrappers are food items that the child will eat and generally prefers to eat and that the parent is okay with the child choosing for a snack. 
These items should be placed on the board at the start of the day or the night before so they are ready to go as options for that day. With this activity, you can work with the parents and the child to teach them how to use it, which is the child takes the item, the wrapper or picture off the board, brings it to the parent and hands it to them. The parent takes the item from the child and goes to get the snack item from the kitchen and give it to the child. This is a very basic and scaled down explanation to give you the idea of how it works. The process for teaching the child and parent how to do this can take a while to get to this actual scheme. But at first, the practice is basically contrived or pre-planned to work on with the parents and the therapist both present during their therapy time. In the beginning phase of this, the parent will most likely have to initiate the process with the child at a time where they usually have a snack. The ultimate idea would be for the child to initiate this without the parent being involved, The child just learns to bring the parent the item to request a snack when they are hungry for it. The thing to keep in mind with this activity is that if we were talking about a child who is verbal and who does not have any developmental or learning delays and they brought you an item from the kitchen that they wanted to eat or asked you verbally if they could have it, you might get it for them or let them have it, but you also might say, not right now, for some reason. Maybe you're getting ready to eat dinner or something like that, so you don't want them to have it right then. That child could accept your answer and move on from there, or they could have a tantrum because they didn't get their way. When you think about it in these terms, it would be the same for a child who is nonverbal, but that is communicating that they want a snack by bringing the item or the picture of the item to you. I think what I'm trying to say is that we give credit to the nonverbal aspect, creating frustration and making the child upset because of that. But at the same time, sometimes it's not frustration because they couldn't communicate with you. It's upsetting because they didn't get the snack because you didn't allow it. When I'm working with families who are having this issue of tantrums with a child who is nonverbal, these concepts are going through my mind constantly. We have to be good observers and critical thinkers to figure out if the child is having a tantrum typical for their age, or if it's truly because they're frustrated by not being able to talk. It is really not a cut and dry dry issue for any child, especially in the toddler to preschool age. The same goes for the other issue of transitions. Once we figure out that a child knows or understands that we're changing from one activity to another, or transitioning between activities, then if we see a tantrum, we know that it is more due to their age or behaviors rather than frustration with communication difficulties. An example we might see is this. You are playing at a park on the playground with your child. You check the time and realize it's time to go home and get ready for dinner. So you say to the child, hey, it's time to go home. Let's get in the car. And they promptly throw themselves down on the ground and cry or become upset. Some of you think that child is just being naughty and they need to get up and get in the car. They just don't want to leave, so they are acting out and having a fit. While others of you think that child wasn't ready to go, but they don't know how to tell their parent that they just wanted to finish picking up this flower that they spotted right over there in the grass first. 
At first glance, these two scenarios look the same, but if we are looking closer or if we had a way to prepare the child that the time to leave was coming up soon, then we might have had a very different outcome. In many of my past shows, I've talked about transitions and preparing children for, for the transitions using visual cues, which is also what I'm talking about today. But the difference is that before, I was always talking about it from the standpoint of a child who has trouble processing the changes that happen during transitions, and they also might have trouble understanding or predicting what is going to happen next. And this can be upsetting to them. It's more of a sensory processing type explanation. For this show, I'm mainly focusing on the kiddos that understand transitions and are okay with them generally, but that have difficulty communicating with the adult in the process. By giving the child in this scenario some warning that the transition is coming soon, they have a chance to show you or just do the one more thing that they were wanting to do before leaving or changing activities. I'm talking about using things like a verbal cue where you tell the child in two minutes we're going to get in the car and go home. And this may or may not be enough for the child. I would also consider using things like a visual timer, something they can watch and see the time counting down from 10 seconds to zero, or a series of beeps before the timer goes off or a light turns on, things like that. There are so many different options for visual timers out there from ones that you can buy online or apps for your smartphone. Those may not be appropriate for every child either, and using a visual schedule or pictures to show them what is going to happen next, like a picture of the playground, the car, and your house. And when we move the picture of the playground into the folder and put it away, then it's time to now get in the car. This could go along with a visual timer and might be helpful for some kids also. Honestly, giving kids a visual cue like these timers and things can be great to use with almost any toddler or preschooler, regardless if they have special needs or not. I'm going to end there for today. Please send me an email if you have any additional questions on this subject or any other topics related to child development or special needs issues. Also, find me on Instagram if you haven't already under Milestones Podcast. Thank you and have a great day.